Hello everyone and welcome to Golden Walkman Magazine. My name is David Walker, one of the editors, bringing you the issue for August 2017, which is fiction. We have a great short story from the writer Devin Murphy titled Two Countries. And the reason why we were drawn so much to this story was the suspenseful way in which it told the story of the interconnectedness of us all. People from different walks of life meeting each other in sometimes very surprising and dangerous ways. So here's the story, Two Countries by Devin Murphy. Hope you enjoy it. Hello, my name is Devin Murphy and this is my story, Two Countries. One. Raymond Andrew Wall introduced himself by his initials as raw. Pen tattoos ran from the rounds of his pecs up his shoulders and down his arms where a tip of a dagger stretched over his right hand, and the long, flowing blue hair of a nude woman fell flat on the back of his left wrist. With his shirt off, he felt the collection of tattoos look like two wings of armored plating, and in a way, that was why he'd gotten them. James Drulinger glided the ox-blood-brown belt through the loops of his Brooks Brothers pants. It was satisfying how easy the leather slicked over his fabric. His shoes matched the belt and still wore the shine he'd had worked on in the lobby of his law building downtown. The rose-colored tie matched his suit perfectly. As he tightened it in the mirror, he took a deep breath, rolling his shoulders back to admire the orderly length of himself. Two. Upon release, the Illinois Department of Corrections gave Raw $200, a gray jumpsuit with a hooded sweatshirt, and a ride in a DOC van to the local bus station. The station sat two miles off the main highway and had a lean-to with a hut with a bench and a poster of travel times. Three times a day going north, twice south. Rob pulls his gray sleeves up to show his inked, muscled forearms to the three other men let out at the lean-to. A habit around strangers, a guerrilla reflex to warn off trouble, invasion, even questioning at this point. The other three men talk. Two going north have family in the west side of Chicago. One going south as family to East St. Louis. The three of them patrolled, paroled first-timers. Young, none of them sit. They sway and bounce up and down, eager with their new freedoms. Where are you headed, one of the men asked. West. West to Chicago, like Garfield Park area? No, real far west, Ross said. He was going to try Las Vegas. An inmate told him about giant drainage pipes under the strip that people live in. There's nowhere else for him to go. The sun lighting the east is blotted out by gray fog. Leaving early before traffic left enough time for drive through coffee and the first NPR news cycle. 37 minutes into the city from the highway entrance next to Ikea if the express lane is open. An hour in the office alone answering emails. One of the inspectors had some trouble taking pictures of foreclosed homes when a father thought he snapped a shot of his daughter. The police were involved. An email or two and a phone call should clear it up. Sounds like a shady business the officer had told him over the phone. It is, James agreed, saying everything he'd said before about it being necessary to confirm the care of properties his firm was going to take equity in. The pictures need to come frequently. The people who do it need work too. Hard times. About once a month these things get ugly. Most of the time he can wipe them away, no problem. He'd clear this one off his desk by the time the other per partner strolled in. Three. The bus north cost $25. No one told Raw this. No one he'd known inside ever wrote. Men were inside, men were outside. 
There was no crossover. He had no prospects of getting more money or a place to stay, so handing over $25 didn't seem like an option. The three at the stop with him each took their turn getting on the buses. He waited. The sun broke through the clouds. When he was alone, he did push-ups and planks to burn off energy. When it was starting to get warmer, he walked in the direction of the highway. When no one picked him up, he walked onto the highway, north and along the shoulder. He collected fresh apple cores and cigarette butts. Several truckers blared the horns as they approached. For a mile, he walked backwards and tried to see if there were any women in the cars. A partner needed to travel to Ireland. James had been given a pass on travel since his youngest daughter was born. But that was years ago. Now it had become habit to stay off airplanes, and the more he spent time at home and in the routine of work, the less he wanted to travel. Time for you to pull the short straw and go, his partner told him this time. When he was told he had to take this trip, part of him knew it would be good for him. He'd become scared of travel, and thereby part of him became scared of the world, of branching out the way he did when he was younger, traveling during and after college. It would be good to travel, take an extra day to see something of Dublin. No shoe bomber was going to be on his plane, though the thought made him think of his life insurance policies. They were enough. It was enough. He thought it would be enough. The house would be paid off if something happened to him. His daughters would have enough to get through any college. Enough. His wife would be fine. That morning, his wife had rolled into him and pressed her bottom against his waist. She had not done that for a long time. He lifted himself onto her. No, not like that. You come too fast like that, his wife said. Lay behind me. This hurt to hear, but at least she let him touch her. It was a start. Perhaps it would break the cold spell between them. He hoped it would. Four. A state trooper pulled onto the side of the highway behind Raw. Can't walk here, he said. No hitchhiking. Can't drive you in the squad car. Through the field there. Call someone from the gas station. Don't let me see you on this road again. No one listened when he asked for help outside the gas station. He was hungry. They'd given him oatmeal that morning, but he was on a schedule and wanted to eat lunch. Inside the gas station was all the food he hadn't seen in years. The endless wrappers. But that meant spending money. From the window, he imagined stuffing all into his mouth. Apples, candy bars, chips, smoking cartons of cigarettes. His tongue ran along the inside of his teeth. Each was ground down from being a nervous kid, from nervous sleep in prison. A prison dentist, the first he'd ever seen, told him his bite was off and all the dentin was worn. That was why his back molar had crumbled, and now another was falling apart. Little hunks of tooth broke loose, and he brought them forward on his tongue like stained pearls. James bundled foreclosures for investments, paperwork mostly. Even with the market recovering, there were still enough homes to make a fortune from. It was a slick system he helped get the firm involved in. Also why he was chosen to go to Dublin to try to make some money off the insane amount of houses they built during the Celtic Tiger boom. A home for every man, woman, and child, he'd been told. Now there was no money to pay for any of them. After a lunch meeting and afternoon teleconference, he prepped his desk for the next day. The police issue with the home inspector still hadn't been cleared, but it could wait until morning. He didn't like leaving it unresolved. It was unpleasant. If he thought about the big picture of the work he did in the world, he felt like a bad person, like he was responsible for heaping more trouble onto the troubled. But next came the gym. A workout would clear, would, would clear those dark thoughts. A shower. Home in time to cook for kids. His oldest daughter had an orthodontist appointment. They were going to watch some teen and troubled fantasy world movie together that night. On movie night, she still let him sit next to her and put an arm around her shoulders. 
It was times like that he felt justified spending his life doing shitty work. Five. An old man with a small gray lapdog took pity on Raw and gave him a ride to the northwest suburbs of Chicago. Lots of you boys on the road. You give them all a ride, Raw asked him. Yep, pretty much. Not nervous? No, I don't have anything worth taking. Some could be bad guys. Nah, I was inside. My son was inside. Lots of good people inside. Well, this is sure nice of you, Raw said. The old man let Raw off where Interstate 90 met a local highway near a giant Ikea store. The store is the shape of a prison wing, but all blue with bright yellow signs. The old man told him the store sold furniture, and Raw walked inside, up a two-story escalator, and into a display room with beds. He lay on one and looked up at the rafters at least 40 feet over his head. It was the softest bed he'd ever been on. And as soon as he let his body ease into it, the fear of being dragged out or shin-clubbed made his body tense. There was also the matter of nowhere to sleep. Two hundred dollars, hungry and homeless. It was dark now. He must have walked fifteen miles, twenty. It had been five years since he'd walked more than an hour at a time. Can I help you, a young man in a blue and yellow polo shirt with a name tag that said Matt on it asked? No, I'm okay, Ross said, and he stood up and left. Outside, the fog made yellow halos of parking lot lights. It was starting to mist. Beads of water covered a sweatshirt. He squeegeed it off his face and walked along the edge of the highway looking for an overpass to hide under. James used almost everything he could find to marinate the salmon steaks. Soy sauce, hot sauce, minced garlic, lime juice, cumin, onion powder, and even honey. He let the chopped sweet potato fries broil in the bottom oven for almost an hour so they were crunchy the way the girls liked. He would tell his wife about Ireland after the kids were asleep. We'll pay babysitters to come help with the kids, to clean the house. It will only be for a week, he was practicing his speech. With dinner in the oven, he walked to the backyard to put the cover on the barbecue. Wet nights like this would rust the grates and heating element. He walked to the stream to see how the water levels rose. As with hard rain, the stream became a small river that roared away at the yard before turning under the overpass bridge and flowing south to the forest preserve. Inside, he ran his hand across the small of his wife's back as she poured a bottle of wine for them. She smiled at him. This morning would be enough to keep them sweet with each other for a few days. Things were best when they were like this. He was happy to go out and get another tube of what his daughter called zit cream at the store. He drove out of the complex and over the bridge on Frontage Road, where he saw a large cloud of smoke drifting up both sides of the bridge, darker and denser than the fog. Six. Raw was freezing. The mist accumulated and soaked his clothes. He knew it would be too cold to make it the night without getting sick. Two teenagers smoking in the parking lot of a mobile gas station. Can I bum one of those, he asked, though it made him nervous to approach them, to talk to them. Sure. Thanks, he said. Need a light? I'll take it and save it for later. He took an armload of slick real estate magazines from a holder in the gas station parking lot and walked along the frontage road. Under the bridge, it was too dark to see much, but he found a dry gravel embankment to heap the torn magazines together with some wet kindling. He took his wet sweatshirt and shirt off, but the fire he started would not last long enough to warm him, so he tossed a handful of leaves to flare it up enough to search for wood along the stream. The leaves were wet and set, sent out a huge plume of smoke. He walked to the far edge of the bridge. When the smoke died down, he tried again. The small flame shone on the graffiti he hadn't seen before. A giant bright pink face with a 60s bob haircut, 
sharp chin hairs, and high curly cute cheekbone lines, and neon pink pinwheels for eyes with tears dripping down. The bright color in contrast with the sad face on the cracked and drab concrete made it seem like the face seeped through the wall as an apparition to study how small he felt. James smelled the dark cinders as he drove over the bridge. He made a U-turn and pulled to the side of the road. It was not the stream and neighbor's property, but it was close. He was 60 yards from his home. If a fire had started down there, it could travel the banks to his house. He got out and ran to the edge of the guardrail. He called down there. If it were kids making a little campfire, that was one thing, but this was too much smoke. He was about to call the fire department, but the fear he recognized when he thought of leaving the country welled up in him. Any wrist, it seemed, made him tighten up, and that made him feel small and old before his time. He jumped the rail to get a better look at the orange glow under the bridge. There was a small trail beat down along the slope. It would ruin his shoes, but he could get them polished again. The thought of a fire creeping towards his house drove him down the hill. At the bottom, he saw a brush fire running over a clump of leaves. He walked closer to kick it out. Along the inside of the bridge was a giant neon pink face with spiral spray painted eyes. He stopped to look at it. Something must have brought ladders. Someone must have brought ladders down to get that high. It was strange to think about people under the bridge, people so close to his home. He looked for a stick to rake out the leaves or push them into the fire, but before he found one, he saw the topless man with the dark blue chest and arms running toward him. Seven. Raw thumbed through the man's wallet and looked for an address. It could be worth going there next, finding anything he could. But that was too risky. He didn't even know how to find the house, and the man's home phone was so fancy it had a locking system that he needed a code to open. He'd taken the man's clothes, leaving him in his underwear. On top of the bridge, the man left his car, a dark BMW with tinted windows. Rod had never been in one before, and it took him a minute to get the feel of how much pickup it had. The car had kicked up the gravel along the shoulder before he eased into it. It was a slick car, and there was half a tank of gas, and now he had $453 cash and a small stack of credit cards, enough to fill tank after tank of he eased onto the highway going west. When he had the feel for it and his pulse began to calm, he cranked the heat up to get warm. The road was moving along just fine now. Now, beneath the bridge felt like a gift given by the pink apparition for making him feel so wretched and hopeless. He had not intended to do what he'd done, but as the road stretched on and he started to envision the country laying itself open, he felt the old hardness build up in him, and he liked the feeling like the measure of control and force he could use to lean into whatever was to come. I believe that in order to write, you just have to be alert to the world around you and take in the big picture uh, of events and cultural happenings and people's lives, but then deliver them to the reader through the small day-to-day -day minutia of those lives. And so this story I wrote for you, Two Countries, came from my commute. My commute takes me across Interstate 80 in Illinois, which north of that is one world and south of that is another. North is Chicago and the sprawl of Chicago and south is rural Illinois. And it is totally two different worlds. And, and I chose to post Ikea and the prison as representatives of those two factions and, and what would happen if that crossover happened. So to me, I look closely at that world and then I populated with these two characters that sort of I wanted to make feel human and alive um, and vulnerable 
yet I wanted to have some sort of connection that wouldn't go as planned. And so I wrote, um, I wrote these two people who were drastically different that inch closer and closer just through um, circumstance to each other. And then you just add in moments of your life from being alert. So I had to go to Ireland for work, and I, I have a recent father, and I hadn't been traveling a long time because I have young kids, and I had this new fear. I'm like, oh, geez, that was new to me. I never had that before. And so I wanted to examine um, fear in people's lives. And this tough guy, raw, this prison, um, prison veteran, um, I wanted to see what he feared too. And I also wanted to see this soft, comfortable um, guy, James Drewlinger's fear as well. So this story drew, um, drew my experience into that big question of what are these two worlds, South and North by 80, um, all about? And how can I kind of bring those to life with, um, with, with unique characters? So that's what I tried to do in two countries, and I hope you enjoyed it. So that wraps up the August issue. I really hope that you enjoyed it. I'm David Walker, one of the editors. Joey Gould is another editor. And thank you for Devin Murphy for sending uh, his story to countries to us. And thank you to the listeners who are listening right now. So here's an update on the magazine itself. We have our dialogue submissions open for just a short amount of time, as long as you're listening to this before the end of August. Uh, the deadline is August 31st, so get that in there. Uh, basically, you know, you just go to the website, listen to the music, write something new and submit it to us, and um, we should be able to publish those, those winners um, quite shortly after, about a month or two after uh, it closes. So, yeah, please become involved with that because we already have great response to it and and I can't I just want more I just want more great uh, writing to, to choose from um, and and do the song justice so that's there for there uh, for that as well um, we are going to announce our chapbook contest winner very shortly it's it's gonna be coming out very soon um, we were floored by the quality of work that we received uh, so we are definitely going to be doing this again in the future. So if you missed the deadline this past year, uh, just wait till next year and we'll be doing it again. Um, so yeah, that, that's about it for me. I hope you enjoyed this issue. We'll be coming out with another issue in um, September and you know, hope to hear from you soon.